0: Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimers in the link on the podcast notes and note that none of the information provided during this update constitutes investment advice or a recommendation, solicitation, or offer by Galaxy Digital or its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Digital Research. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of Firmwide Research at Galaxy Digital, and we have a really fun episode today. We're joined by Christine Kim and Saul Kadir from Galaxy Digital Research, Um, and we've got our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Digital Trading to talk to us about markets. We're also joined by our friend Kareem Helmy, former researcher at Galaxy Digital, um, also former data scientist at CoinMetrics. Um, Kareem's joining us, too. Um, and this is going to be a little bit more of like a sort of a roundtable episode. We got a couple things we want to talk about, but um, then I think we're just going to shoot the breeze and 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 talk about markets and crypto. And uh, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, it'll be exciting. Um, but let's kick it off as always, Bimnet. Give us a little bit of a rundown uh, of of what markets look like from your seat, and um, I guess if anything is you know meaningfully changed from. Last week, the one thing I've seen that's changed is the peoples everywhere. They're rioting. You've got the farmers in Holland blocking all the roads. You've got uh, strikes in Pakistan and, and disruptions in the U.S. airline industry. You've got riots in Ecuador and Chile, um, all mostly about food and, and energy prices going into a hot summer. I mean, it, it feels like um, something's going to have to give soon, particularly in Europe. But, but take us back. What's it look like from your seat?
1: Um, yeah I mean the volatility um, in the past week um, has been astonishing um, just this morning alone um, you know I was talking to you know our CEO Mike Novogratz and you know I think in an hour we, we had a 20 basis point move in, in front-end interest rates on on basically next to nothing um, and so I think we're, we're in a world where there's tremendous uncertainty with respect to central bank policy with respect to Geopolitics, um, with basically everything that that impacts people's you know everyday lives, um, and that's what you've seen happen. I mean, like FX, you, you've had you know multi-standard deviation moves in, in in Eurodollar. I mean, that's like one of the least volatile currency pairs on the planet. Um, and so, you know, we live in a world of uncertainty, and it's become more uncertain since we last spoke, uh, given the, these these market moves and where sort of you know Vol has gone to. Um, and the other thing I, I want to point out, you know, is a big change week over week was um, you actually had crude prices come down pretty meaningfully. Right. I think last week when we were speaking, you know, I, I think crude was around one hundred and eight hundred and ten dollars a barrel. Um, and as of, you know, today, I think it's in the, the, the low 90s. And that's largely been a function of of. Um, sort of a repricing of of growth expectations, or a, a higher a pricing in of higher probability of of a recession, leading to a slowdown in in consumer activity um, and and broader sort of sort of consumption, um, and so you know energy prices are big, increased volatility um, is big, um, and then the the sort of third thing that I I, I would want to stress is is that you know I think the market has gone sort of as far into the the recession sort of. Um, mindset as, as it's been in all year. Um, if you look at sort of, you know, gauges for recession probabilities, they've all started to to tick higher. And the commentary you're seeing from the markets community um, is more embracing of, of the sort of recession narrative. And that's what you've seen in terms of, you know, moves in, in bond markets and and in, you know, financial markets you know one prime example is um you know the the 2s10s curve that has you know recently inverted and historically you know curve inversion typically does lead to or does um sort of lead um recessions and so you've had a lot of focus into you know what happens in the the recession scenario with respect to central bank policy and most people yeah. think that recession will cause central bank policy to to be easier now I'm just going to stop there. There's so much more to unpack. These are the craziest markets uh, that I've ever seen. And speaking to folks that you know have been in the industry for several decades now, uh, markets are about as challenging as as they've ever been.
0: Yeah, it's a really wild time. I mean, one of one of the things I was looking at um, was Germany, um, the powerhouse of Europe, right? And it turns out. Their whole game really was get cheap gas from Russia to power their manufacturing and then export those goods abroad. Um, They don't have that gas anymore. Electricity prices on a forward basis are skyrocketing. Um, Natural gas is up 700 percent there. Their economy minister said um, that the country is facing, quote, a Lehman Brothers-like collapse due to the lack of power. Literally the lack of electricity. um, The euro is – down twenty percent. It's lowest yep. against the dollar since two thousand two. I, I just don't well, see that's way to parody. Yeah, I don't see how um, Europe's policy to Russia can last ultimately. It, particularly once winter comes, um, and they need this. You know, it's one thing if you can't produce as much. I mean, that definitely hurts your economy a lot. And um, yep. and but you know, if you can't heat homes, it feels like something's going to have to give on European policy to, towards Russia. Something's got to give. For sure. Um, and right now, the, the market's doing
1: all the work. Like if you look at, you know, energy futures or, um, you know, anything that's forward based in terms of, you know, electrical consumption in, in Europe, like the, the, they're close to trend highs, you know, like, you know, limit up and stuff. So yes, you're, you're fundamentally right. Something has to break. I don't think it's going to be the, the West's relations with Russia, though. Yeah. Um, I really do think that, you know, the, you're going to go into a market that, is just going to bid up all the available energy that there is, you know, there's put simply there's a shortage of of molecules <laughs> and and uh, people are going to pay what whatever it takes to, to heat their homes. Can so, the devs can do speak? something
0: about those molecules? Like, I mean, <laughs>
1: come on. Yeah, but what's really going to be interesting though is is the policy response. You know, if you're not going to respond geopolit, uh, right. You know, via geopolitics, you're going to respond. You know, via fiscal policy and monetary policy. Fiscally, you know, what these governments in Europe in particular are inclined to do is give people subsidies on on you know the energy costs or or vouchers, you know, whatever it may right. be, which you know again is only going to help i'm sorry hurt the inflation problem that we have but that's a policy response um and then um in terms of europe a big thing um this week is sort of you know how the ecb is going to deal with fragmentation right like people you know don't want italian bonds but they'll take german bonds even though their economy you know is also you know struggling just because of you know the perceived safety and so you've seen spreads of these these instruments you know blow out and the the ECB now has to, you know, talk about, you know, a facility or a program where they're going to manage those spreads when it gets, you know, really extended. And so, you know, back to the point I made to to start, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of ways, you know, these things, this thing can go. Um, And there's like, you know, tons of random other variables like China reopening right now, you know, they've had, you know, struggles with with COVID and seems like COVID cases are picking back up. You know, that's another sort of, future source of energy consumption you know if they're back in line and everything's a go in china by by the winter like it's gonna be a tough winter <laughs> yeah. um yeah. and so you know i think you're in a world where, where, where there's a, a a lot of uncertainty and there's no clear answer and what that leads people to do is just they you end up having a flight to quality and what is that quality it's the u.s dollar right? There's a reason, <laughs> you know, we're almost at, at parity, um, in the, yeah. US they're going to go towards the, the most safest investments. Um, and you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't be one, to be long European stocks. Uh, one, one interesting tidbit, this is, you know, a little unrelated, but you know, Ray Dalio has, has a huge short on in, in, uh, in European <laughs> stocks that he just doubled down on, wow. you know, after his fund return, you know, their flagship fund returned, you know, the, 32% in the, the first half of the year. So wow. you know, my outlook for Europe is is not good. Um and I think the, the easiest trades are just, you know, quality. Um and that's US assets and US dollar.
0: Yeah, the dollar is powerful. Um unless you need to buy things like consumer goods with it. But if you want to buy investments with it, it's yep, you know, every all investments look great against the dollar right now. A- absolutely.
1: And and the one beauty about the dollar right now is not only is it a uh, a risk-off currency, right, where you know people want to, you know, when stuff sells off, they want to be in the safest stuff, but it's also a powerful carry um, currency now, right, with front-end rates where they are and where they're expected to be, right. You you're actually earning a lot more yield on your dollar deposits than you are in Europe or, or mm-hmm. Japan or or in lots of the developed world, and so the U.S. dollar takes on this this sort of form of of being a, a, a risk off hedge but also positive carry and and this is like sort of counterintuitive where it's like okay if it's a risk off hedge you you don't expect it to, to actually pay you money when you're, you're you're sitting on it but you're in that weird scenario um and that's sort of causing you know a massive run on 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 the on the dollar right now you know bull run
2: Bim, what do you think about the run away from like dollar backed stable coins and crypto? Do you feel like there's still going to be a resurgence back to demand for dollars in the form of stable coins in our crypto industry? Or do you think even that all of crypto is kind of going to continue to to see like a decrease in activity in the midst of this, this more global macro perspective of, of recession?
1: That is a great question, Christine. So I believe the, the two most powerful forces in, in markets are one regulation. right? If the government tells me I can't buy it, I'm not going to buy it. Two is, is interest rates. People will do you know will move trillions of dollars for a couple of extra basis points. Right now, with the problem you have in, in crypto and, and crypto-stable adoption, at least in my head, is that I can earn more on my T-bells. You know, out three months than I can in a lot of DeFi, right? What reason do I have to go into USDC when, like, the the term USDC levels that you know you can you know lend to to circle to um, aren't even competitive with like three month T bills, mm-hmm. right? So I think the the flow of money is going to be dependent on on sort of relative interest rates, and and that's. Historically, how FX is traded. So, if you think about USD as as a, a USDC as a currency pair versus USD, I think the movement between USD and USDC is going to be a function of of you know projected returns, right? And so, as long as interest rates and in, in DeFi remain below sort of where the broader you know U.S. financial system is, you know, I don't I don't think you know there's going to be that much of an incentive to go into USDC. And the question is like like if somebody gave me a choice of I can deposit USDC for one year at two percent, and somebody gives me the choice of I can deposit uh, USD um, at one seventy five and not go on chain and not deal with the operational or regulatory complexities and miss out on just twenty five basis points of, of of risk, I would totally do the the the, the one seventy five. And so, you know, I I think you you were at a certain point earlier this year where the the net return like the 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 sort of risk premium you got for going into usdc made it worthwhile right um or ust when you were earning 20 on on anchor etc and now that's just not there um and so you know i i think it's it's going to take some some time for um you know that that balance to to sort of recalibrate itself
0: Awesome. Thanks, BimNet, for uh, the the insights, as always, on the market. Um, okay, let's talk about this weird thing, Artifact. Uh, probably, no offense to these guys, maybe the worst-named startup in all of crypto, <laughs> one of them, because it's called Artifact, but it's R-T rfk artifact or yeah. fkt R T F K T. Um i get it guys you don't like you, you folks you don't like uh vowels i don't know why but um they, there's also what's the other one um
3: that's like that they've they've disavowed them
0: they, they've disavowed <laughs> <laughs> that's good. um lord um yeah we're we're here for these jokes um, so I, I guess Artifact—they—they—they they are the issuer of one of the biggest NFT uh, collections. But they're—they doing something. This is another thing in our series of uh, the NFT tech and ownership stack, right? So, yeah. what, what do they do? They did something. Oh,
4: on this. yeah, yeah. It's your favorite topic, Alex. Uh, so, just to catch people <laughs> up a bit, Artifact. Think of them as like a competitor to Yuga Labs. because They own this collection, or they had this public mint for this collection called Clone X. The mint was in november two eth mint sold out really quickly just like all the others uh, now this collections it's a blue chip so it's number five in terms of market cap and it's the number one non-yuga nft collection so they're kind of a a big deal very popular they the company artifact got acquired by nike late last year because they probably saw a lot of promise with this uh, the difference with, with this approach to nfts and, and their spin on it is all the collections are they're not 2D PFPs, they are 3D renditions of an avatar with a bunch of random traits. And um, they, at the very start, created these NFTs such that they will integrate seamlessly into the metaverse. In other words, uh, these NFTs were created with 3D files that are compatible with Unity, with all these other gaming engines. Uh, That was kind of their, their differentiator. And they, in November, also collabed with this really popular artist, Murakami. So that's the background. What happened? Uh, basically, a couple days ago, Artifact uh, said, Hey, Clonex owners, if you own a Clonex, we're going to give you all the 3D files straight up, and you could integrate it in your application however you want and have basically your avatar locomote in the metaverse. You know, they can move around, it's like full access, you can program with it. And we're going to give you what they call full commercial light, uh, rights over your NFTs.
0: Red flag, red flag, full commercial rights. <laughs> that, I don't is that a thing? What is that?
4: Oh uh, no, yes, <laughs> very much a red flag. <laughs> I did a bit of perusing around the legal docs, and, and I found some uh, some interesting things. Uh, one is, right off the bat, it, it's called a limited, non-transferable, non-licensable except for an exception section, non-exclusive license solely for personal, non-commercial purposes.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so full commercial rights, meaning no commercial rights? I'm confused. Um, yes, yeah, so th- that's the thing.
4: <laughs> there is an exception, and it's called the Clonex Commercialization Eligibility Form. It's a type form, Oh, okay. and they get to say yes or no. And if you are a Clonex holder with no Murakami traits, by the way, which is another weird complication... And you make less than forty million in annual revenue, or have, or and have less than fifteen hundred employees. And if they approve you, then you can commercialize it, and you're considered oh, wow. an approved
0: partner. <laughs> so you can, if you own the <laughs> NFT, you can ask them for yes, appro- permission to use it. Yes, okay.
4: And okay. the best part is, at any time, they can, if you breach any obligation at any point in time, they can pull your rights. But also any application that integrates with you will be breaking the law. And so they could pull like the the code, I guess, that, that the application is uh, using.
0: Th- this is the problem. Like, this is first of all, it's clearly marketing, this type of announcement, if that's yeah. the restrictive nature of the license. But like who's gonna build into a video game, which I think is probably like the clear idea. They're giving you Unity yes. files, right? It's for building yeah. into the metaverse or video game. Yes. Who's gonna build something that can be revoked by a third party at any time?
4: Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. Like, like, one like interesting example we could kind of walk through is like, oh, I have a Clone X at Fortnite, who has a team of game developers who can actually make use of this file. Like, right. it's very hard to do game dev. Maybe they would like say, oh, if you just say yes, we'll make your avatar for you. You, you can't even do that because they probably right. you, wouldn't you, be approved.
0: You, you just upload your unity file for your clone X. Like we make a yeah. little facility on our Fortnite website that lets you upload the file. And you know, in like a month, like it'll be available as a character for you to play with in the game. Right. Like seems pretty right. solid idea.
4: Right. And that idea will not work here. Cause like, it's not,
0: it's not allowed. That's like the only good idea that I've heard <laughs> for licensing your NFT stuff into the metaverse. I don't, I don't it's the stuff, this stuff. There's a hobby horse of mine for sure. But like, I, I want to see this changed. Like let
4: and like the exact a uh, clause in this agreement that precludes that from happening is you may only grant a sub license of your license which is what you're effectively are doing with this fortnite example if they are an authorized platform but that we went through those conditions you have to be a company that's making you know only 40 million or less and it's it's small certainly
0: epic games is not is is too too uh revenue uh generative to to yeah.
4: qualify yeah or, or, or imagine like a disney or something like that like <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> None of these would the
2: fall yeah. It's not even just this cr- this commercial license that you talked about. Saw with these restrictive properties. I think um, in a prior episode we were talking about how even the licenses that are given out by Yuga Labs over CryptoPunks and Bored Ape's those also can be revoked at any point. So even if you right. are using it to say build a restaurant or uh, build a, a sneaker, Yuga Labs like a as a TV show. Yuga Labs as a company could take that away at any point,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. And yet people right. are still doing it. I'm, something's got to give on this um, for these things to really, <sighs> like, really, really realize this dream that NFT people are, are you know, believe so much in. Right.
4: It feels so Web two esque in terms of, like the legal. Uh, framework they're putting it's overly onerous like yeah basically can't do anything unless i'm a god-tier developer and i could <laughs> whip up a nice metaverse app app Then, like locomote my own only my own
0: mft by the way i can't do it yeah, for anyone be- else and you better not make too much money by the way either or yeah. you'll, you, i can only you'll... make
4: up to 40 million and then oh, all bets are off yeah it's like wow <laughs> Good i God. wonder if, uh, th- that all that to say people are doing interesting stuff i mean they're and not just for this, by the way, but for other yeah. NFTs, um, making cool art, animating their NFTs, things like
0: totally. that. Totally. I mean, it seems like that's, what's going to happen. Um, if th- that's basically what you can do with this is if I own a clone X and I'm a 3d artist or like you know developer of some kind gaming developer then for fun on the side i can put my nft into like home videos or something right like <laughs> that you can do it's going to result in some cool like art and usage but like not at the meaningful scale that we that yeah. that, that we really want nfts to be used for one day
4: 100 yeah, 100
0: it's annoying because
4: it, it's about at least for me like one of the most critical reasons why i would buy X is it's like why you'd buy a rare pair of jordans i want to signal something especially because they're owned by nike and you know as time goes on maybe more people will know this collection i want to signal it in a very public setting like a Fortnite game i don't want to just signal it on my you know sandbox application or whatever gets approved
0: yeah, I, you know, I just um, – I, I don't know. I, uh, listeners of this podcast will know that this is something we've talked about a fair amount. And um, I just hope that uh, these companies will figure out a way to actually give these rights to the users who in many – I mean, especially with some kind of announcement like this. I mean, if you're not doing the deep work Saul, like Saul is and reading the legal agreement and we're hashing this out over and over again, like you read that and you think you can use it. Exactly. And, it, you know, it's just that's, – that's unfortunate. Like stop saying – that people have unlimited use rights and full commercial rights if that's not true.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's like I actually thought, oh wow, this is gonna be amazing. Then I read it, and like you're <laughs> saying, it's it's the exact opposite is what's actually happening here.
0: Not full commercial rights.
4: I'm um, realizing how how bad my rights are. Oh, uh, Lord.
0: Um, all right. Well, we're gonna keep hammering this home and uh hopefully um we'll see a change one day. I I'm afraid that the NFT addressable market will not expand to this grand um you know size that that nft believers think will happen if they do not address these types of ownership and and use issues but um yeah you know all right let's let's move on we've got kareem helmy here i want to get him involved in the conversation thanks all that was um, another great uh you know session on on nft ownership and commercial use rights our favorite <laughs> topic but kareem man how's it going um what are you looking at uh these days in data and mining or whatever else um just t- tell us what's going on with you dude
3: hey uh what's good man yeah uh look so yeah i've been i've been thinking there's there's quite a bit of interesting stuff going on in mining right now um basically everybody is uh, i think the technical term is down bad Um, there's a lot of miners running close to cost of production here, uh, marginal cost of production, uh, a lot more, um, have purchased, uh, ASICs at or near the top, um, that they now have to pay back and, 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 you know, uh, aren't going to break even on those, uh, unless, unless we see pretty massive price action upward from here. Um, yeah, on the, on the data side, I've been working on some stuff around hardware fingerprinting. Um, so this has kind of been my uh you know my 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 go-to uh data work um so the idea is you want to know uh what types of hardware are mining on the bitcoin network um what, what types of machines are people using yeah
0: you pioneered this you were one of the pioneers of this uh form of analysis of the network right analyzing um patterns in in mind blocks uh to identify um, which hardware was used to mine it and, and thereby come up with a market share estimate for Bitcoin mining manufacturers.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all um, indirect based on network data, um, but uh, you can pretty much just use the distribution of nonces on the network to uh, uh, get a rough idea of, of what types of hardware people are using because the, uh, the different types of hardware don't actually sample uh, nonces uniformly. And so they all leave a little pattern. Um, and yeah, I mean what we're seeing now is uh uh almost 60%, and, and all of these numbers are preliminary, but almost sixty percent of uh miners are running um S19 or S19 J Pro uh generation ASICs. Um that's pretty insane. This is this is all like pretty cutting edge stuff. Um uh-huh. and this is this is uh I think for one says that Bitmain's dominance has just grown like pretty outsized. Uh, wow. it, oh, I mean, it's the meme always has been right. But uh, uh, it's cool that we can track this now. Um, number I mean, two. We thought
0: MicroBT was going to really like step in with like a lot of market share at some point. People love those M20S what's miners. Um, but I mean.
3: Uh, everybody who can get their hands on, uh, not everybody, but most people who can get their hands on MicroBT machine would prefer to use it. MicroBT just right. had a lot of uh, problems getting their machines out the door um, mm-hmm. when uh, they they had they had manufacturing issues at 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 their uh, Samsung uh, foundry. Got it. Um, so they were as far as I remember, they were not able to get the allocation that they wanted uh, during the global chip yep. shortage. Now um, the other thing is that the the S nineteen J Pro and, and that generation is slightly more efficient than the M 30s plus, but but it's largely just an availability issue. Um, Got it so uh yeah that's that's pretty much what we're seeing on that side uh there's that there's a lot of miners liquidating funds um core scientific just announced that they were uh uh selling a decent amount of bitcoin i think that was yesterday uh
0: yeah it was like 80 percent or something of their holdings yeah
3: yeah it was um it was 7202 bitcoins um at, that's at a lot it's a lot of that's a lot of bitcoin um and they're not alone on that right like like uh uh Core is a really clean shop. They're they they're doing pretty much everything right that you can be doing right. Uh, the the market's just rough right now, um, and 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 especially uh, this is I think especially notable when you're when you're kind of looking at like uh, a lot of these miners who who levered into these ASICs, right? So um, we've seen we've seen uh, quite a bit of refinancing uh, and and some general like broader market stress on um ASIC backed loans. Uh that's all just natural, right? Like like we've also seen a lot on on, on Bitcoin backed loans. Uh when price goes down, the value of the collateral degrades and, and and uh you know the the lender is 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 kind of stuck uh uh having to liquidate the miner or or figure out some alternative financing plan. Um so I would say like that's that's probably the biggest theme of the market these days is just is just you know it's down <laughs> and miners are miners are pretty hurt there.
2: I think the more technical term for market is down is now that we're down in Goblin Town. This is a, a new terminology, Karim, <laughs> yeah. that you got to get with the times on. I'm sorry, but this is... We're adding new lingo now to the crypto vocabulary. Um, but it's really <laughs> cool to hear <laughs> down that... Down tremendous. The the 60% figure. I mean, do you think that that figure will get a lot higher as... Um, the markets continue to kind of reach, uh, reach for bottom because the idea is that um, less efficient miners will have to start um, capitulating. They won't be able to compete in this very competitive market. Um, so, do we expect that sixty percent figure to like reach as high to like eighty or ninety percent um, if we continue to see prices go go down for for Bitcoin?
3: I think what's more likely to happen is just that the newest gen ASICs, so the the uh... S19 XP and the M50 uh, from MicroBT um, are uh, going to eat a, a share of the market. Uh, those are starting to ship out roughly now um, in, 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 in scale. Um, and so I think that's going to be the thing to watch right now. Um, but totally, I, I definitely think like less efficient miners are going to be capitulating. Uh, there's been a lot of like listings for S9s on, on the secondary marketplaces recently. Uh, people just dump it. Yeah. I, saw, I saw one where it was like, uh i think they were measuring it by gross weight instead of hash rate and they were like i have no idea how many of these <laughs> work uh some of them do for
2: sure <laughs> but
0: yeah uh, literally we like we've got we've got a s- <laughs> we've got we've got several tons of ant Miner s9s uh that's hilarious <laughs> by the pound miners mm-hmm. by the pound
3: so it's yeah like a deli definitely i mean I, there's still look there's still miners running less efficient equipment uh in kind of these like fringe setups uh, where you're either you know not paying for power or or have some asymmetric edge, and I think like these these uh, older gen equipment they, they, they've gotten like a lifespan increase just from uh, the addition of like immersion and 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 new firmware uh, like brains, uh, which can give you a pretty substantial uplift, but uh, they're they're nearing end of life for sure, mm-hmm. and even. So the S17s have pretty much completely faded out uh, after uh, the ban in China. They, they, they had a lot of issues around, you know, the, the, their failure rates. And um, and also just uh, as, as everything was getting moved over from, from China to the U.S., uh, they weren't worth the rack space that they took up. Um, and so a lot of them ended up getting unplugged. So you're really seeing this, like, bifurcation where the only, the only machines that are still, like, older-gen machines that are still out there uh, are s9s m20 generation what's miners m30 generation what's what's miners um and and like the new newer uh so sorry the the newer m30 generation what's miners and uh uh the the new gen ant miners on the s19 and s19 uh,
0: J Pro. it's just amazing to see bitmain uh like dominating so much given that you know Wu and mccree and they made this huge bet on bitcoin cash Back in 2017, they dumped in 2018. I think all or most of their Bitcoin for BCH ended up being, of course, a terrible trade. Um, and and then they had the whole dispute between McCree and Jihan uh, over um, ownership of the company for a while. And then, like, I guess that through it all, they continued producing basically the best machines in the industry. And now, I mean, just at sixty percent dominance or near it is just that's a huge, huge piece of the market share.
3: Yeah, they um, so that that's 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 by total hash rate. There's still like like I mentioned, um, there's still some some S9s floating around, not not nearly in the same sc- scale as uh, as there are uh on the new gen uh Bitmain ASICs. Oh, so it's
0: even, but yeah, your point is that Bitmain's dominance is even higher. Exactly. Wow.
3: And and that's disregarding some of the smaller manufacturers like uh, uh eBank. In a silicon but but they don't really have any market share so um that's yeah uh that's that's kind of my my read on the hardware market these days um nice yeah one last point was that uh uh asics have kind of been repricing recently uh they had been very very uh they've been trading rich relative to btc um and you're starting to get to the point where um the market is realigning but uh, i still think they have quite a bit of of, of room to fall.
2: Do we also see a big shift in the type of mining companies that will kind of survive through this bear market? I've been hearing a lot of talk about how um, public mining companies with access to debt are going to um, really be able to pull through this market, and other types of mining companies are going to um, uh, dissolve and and not really um, be or stick around. I think f- um, after this. Bear market. Um, so curious to know: um, Do we also see a change and a shift um, in in that landscape, and the in the type of mining companies that um, that continue to to uh, operate through this through this um, downturn in the market?
3: Yeah. Um, so public miners definitely do have an advantage here, just because of access to capital. The problem is most of the capital has dried up. Um, it's you know it's a bear market liquidity. Liquidity disappears pretty much.
0: Yeah, um, Bim Bim was saying this, right? I mean, it, investors want dollars; they don't want Asics right now.
3: Yeah, so that's why these companies are selling their their Bitcoin, right? Um, a lot of these guys are, are are pretty hardcore maximalists. Like they would they would love to be holding all the Bitcoin that they mine and just lever up more and more and more uh, until they have to repay those loans or, or refinance them with new ones, right? Um, but the market is kind of dictating, like, no, cash is king right now. Um, so I, I think from a dominance perspective, more what you're going to see is miners with a better entry are going uh, to outcompete uh, miners with a much worse entry. It, it, there was a while where ASICs were trading you know, above $80 a terahash uh, on more retail-facing markets. They even traded above 100 Just given how much, how much that has fallen, like if you didn't buy that and if you're starting to deploy capital now or over the next few months, uh, you're in a way better state. The other thing is energy costs are are rising across the board, right? Um, most miners, especially most public miners, are locked into uh, power purchase agreements, um, or what's called PPAs. So they're locked into these like long-term agreements to buy power at a fixed or or near fixed rate. Uh, those guys are going to be okay. They're they're relatively insulated from the market volatility. It still can't touch them, and and um, there's a couple of things that can happen uh, to kind of like renegotiate that. But 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 generally. They're buying fixed miners who kind of like deployed closer to the top, kind of rushed into things and and started plugging in machines at market rate before they actually signed the PPA. Uh, those guys are are kind of hurting right now, um, and and the ones hosting hurting the most are uh, actually the hosted miners. Um, standard hosting rate right now is 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 it it just keeps going up and up and up, right? So uh, you're seeing even at scale, like miners signing agreements above above seven cents.
0: That's wild. It does feel like we're early in the consolidation phase here on i mean even if you look at hash rate and difficulty on the bitcoin network they they're not down that much yet um and if you go back and look uh following the 2017 peak i mean it came down a lot actually um over the next year or two um so it does feel like there's still we, we've seen capitulation on minor treasuries i think actually we just got a bunch of information you talked about core scientific clean spark we talked about riot I think previously a bunch of them have dumped their Bitcoin or a lot of it um, over the last month so maybe the treasury capitulation is is perhaps nearing an end but on the Asics right themselves the operations it doesn't seem like we're really there yet but it feels like it has to be coming uh still if you just look at prior prior market. Downturns like this.
3: There's some distress selling of ASICs happening, um, but generally, if you're a miner, this is the last thing you want to get let go of. This is this is this is the farm, right? Uh, so, yeah. uh, the other thing is that like this debt financing to a certain extent, but largely just the way that these machines are paid for uh, on on ASIC futures is you, you put down a large deposit, uh, typically about sixty percent of the ASIC price uh, upfront, and you're only responsible for paying the remaining forty percent. Uh, near delivery, but this leads to a kind of like a pretty unhealthy market dynamic where a lot of these miners are making decisions because uh, they've already had that sunken cost. So mo- nobody buying ASICs today, no- nobody reasonable buying ASICs today would want to plug them in at like $0.07 cents or, or above, um, but uh, these miners are pretty much like forced buyers of hosting here. Uh, if you've prepaid mm-hmm. for 60% of the machine, especially if you're levered into that, you, you just have to plug in that machine as long as your margin. You got to recoup something. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, it's fa- it's fascinating stuff. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, I guess with Bitcoin miners, it's just like sort of only the strong survive, right? It's like um, you, the whole game is hold out as long as you can. So difficulty comes down, you become more profitable. Um, and I guess it feels like we're still on the cusp of, of really seeing that play out. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about some random stuff uh, that's going on in markets this week. Would love, I think there's a great one right here for both Kareem and Christine, um, given your your expertise.s um, Bitmain is <laughs> releasing an Antminer E9, a new ETHash mining machine. Uh, I think it went on sale today, Wednesday, uh, July sixth, as we're recording this. Um, this mines Ethereum and and anything else on ETHash, including Ethereum Classic. Um, but aren't they going to proof of stake? I mean, does Bitmain think they can capture value over the next couple months? Um, Or maybe do we think they have a view that the merge will get pushed back and that these will be really profitable? I don't know either of you guys. I mean, you're the two to talk to on this.
3: I'll uh, I'll let Christine start on this one.
2: Okay, great. (laughs) Thanks for throwing (laughs) me the difficult question. (laughs) Um, I think that part of it might be that this ASIC was a long time coming. It wasn't something that they whipped up now because they think that the merge is not going to happen. Um, But I think they were making a bet that there is still money to be made on the Ethereum network before the merge actually goes through and there is still quite a lot of talk around when the merge w- will happen. Um, and in the beginning of the year, there was talk about it happening in June and then it was pushed back another two months with the difficulty bomb delay. Um, and so I think that the, the timing is still uncertain and so there's still a window in which miners currently on the Ethereum network before they have to retire all of their machines um, can, can make some money. Um, And I think when there was like, before this bear market, like earlier this year, the profitability of mining on Ethereum was extremely high. Um, And so it did make sense I think to even like ramp up your your mining operations on Ethereum because the price of ETH was rising. Um, I think right now that logic doesn't really make sense anymore because of how mm-hmm. much the, the price is tanking. Um, so I'm, I'd be curious to know um, how, like what the sales are like for that, that machine that goes on sale today, like whether it actually does, yeah. like people actually buy it, you know?
0: Yeah, because like if, if you mine Ethereum with GPUs, which my understanding has never been significantly less efficient than Ethash ASICS but i guess we'll have to wait and see on this E9 right i mean is that right like e- Ethash have haven't ever haven't given that much of an advantage over a GPU right
3: um, i'm a little out of my depth here my understanding is it's it's GPU miners can be efficient uh, or sorry can can be competitive uh and, and generally are competitive but yeah. basics are, are are substantially more efficient
0: because i mean if you're ramping oh they are substantially because if you're ramping up like gpus then you know something you know the merge happens you, you, maybe you can mine a different coin with them or you can you know people always talk about video rendering or other use cases machine learning m- medical research that uses gpus um you know it, it might be an okay Bet to keep mining ETH for a few more months, and then when the merge happens, flip your machines to something else. But an ASIC, by definition, can't do much else, um, which is just a strange. Uh, but, but also, Christine, on on um, on the merge timing, they they just uh, did the upgrade for the merge on the Sepolia Sepolia uh, test net, um, and I guess this is the second to last test net upgrade that they're going to do the merge upgrade on before it can go to mainnet. Um, but it, and then they have Gurley testnet last, um, but it didn't go well.
2: Well, the data is still coming in about how the Sapolia testnet on Ethereum is behaving now that it's fully transitioned over to proof of stake. The initial results of it showed that um, there were quite a number of missing blocks. So the way that Ethereum finalizes and and Processes transactions are in these twelve-second slots, and at every slot, it's expected that a consensus layer um, client will will receive um, a block from the execution layer client, which is just um, which you can think about it kind of like Ethereum's uh, mainnet today. Uh, the Sepolia proof of work network um, is is a version of Ethereum's mainnet today with like decentralized applications, but of course on the testnet, there's a lot of dummy transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically that um, consensus layer, uh, the, the layer of the beacon chain of Ethereum that's, that's receiving all of these uh, transactions, monitoring that network, they package them into validators, package them into blocks, and then they propose it at these specified slots. And every slot happens every 12 seconds. Um, and what had happened on the Sepolia testnet is after the merge was activated, and so you have this execution layer and this consensus layer that, that has come together, there were slots at which validators were not proposing blocks. And I think the most likely explanation for this is that there might have been some kind of a timeout issue where a consensus layer client might have been waiting for um, the execution layer to to propose to to monitor some transactions to to recognize a block, um, that communication between the two networks I think um, could have been the root cause of the issue, depending on what software cli- what client software was being used. And the pairing between these software clients. There still needs to be a bit more analysis. Um, the test testnet just went live today. So I think we're gonna have more information about this um, on Friday, which is when this podcast goes out um, during the all-core developer call. Um, but it does look like uh, there seems to be some some issues that the developer that developers have, have yet to figure out. Um, so we'll see how how you know critical it is, but um, To be clear, there are blocks being proposed, um, just not as many as as developers would like to see.
0: Got it. So it could be an issue. Um, I guess if it is a big issue, though, um, and it may not be. um, but Yeah, I don't want to. It's too early to tell. This thing went live a few hours ago um, when we're recording on Wednesday, July 6th. But um, assuming that it is a big issue, which maybe you shouldn't assume, but if we assume that it is, you think that pushes back uh, expectations? I mean, would they have to re would they relaunch it on this test net, or would they take the learnings and then you think move forward onto the next test net?
2: Yeah. So. Um, If anything, I think it would push back the Gwerly testnet launch, which is supposed to be the final Ethereum testnet to launch the merge before mainnet. And Gwerly is by far the most um, like Ethereum mainnet today. Sepolia has a very early genesis. Um, It hasn't been up and running as long as some of these other testnets like Gwerly has been. Um, So... I, I suspect that it's probably an issue with the implementation of the merge with certain client softwares. So, be it um, like Teku and Geth or Nethermind and some other uh, consensus layer mm-hmm. client. Like, probably one of those teams had implemented part of that, that's the merge specifications in like a, a in a like for the weird... testnet,
0: you mean specifically? Or yeah. Just- generally yeah
2: yeah because for every single test net um the client teams are pushing out new releases so they they I did see. the um i think it was for the Robston test net yeah they did the Robston test net and they had learnings from that test net of like oh certain blocks were missed oh we had a timeout issue and then they put out new releases that were supposed to fix those issues for Sepolia. but i think we're still seeing some issues on Sepolia, and so i suspect that the next release for gorley Will take some time, um, probably for the client teams to fix all these issues. Make sure that the third test net really is successful and that you don't see any of these issues again. Um, we're, yeah, I think the ideal was that it was going to come out in two weeks, so that each test net would be two to three weeks apart. But depending on what the issue is and how long it takes for client test client software to you know fix these issues, it could be you know four weeks that we're yep. waiting. But we'll see
0: but we're already calling for i think your analysis a september october m- merge on mainnet is the sort of the your consensus view now on 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 timing and if it's just a couple weeks here that probably doesn't cuz i think that analysis that you have even gives some space for for things like this right it's not like um so so maybe so too early to tell probably still on track for the merge uh in the fall it feels like just this is my reading of the room and listening to christine and um but i guess we just have to wait and see a little bit more information but not 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 a perfectly smooth launch it looks like so far on this testnet
2: no, definitely not. And it's actually, I, in my opinion, I think this is very good for the merge that we're working through these issues now on testnet rather than on mainnet. Um, and again, this is the whole purpose of why Ethereum is actually launching the merge on three testnets instead of one, which is usually what happens for yep. prior hard forks because of the complexity around around this upgrade
3: just the last thing on uh on on this and 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 how it ties into the e9 like this is the bet that miners have been making right that there's going to be some sort of uh hold up on this yeah um so far uh everybody who has made that bet has has been made whole pretty much um if you know the 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 ethereum foundation has been has been saying that they're going to do this hard fork for for years um and there was a while where you could kind of see hash rate stalling out uh and then miners just called that bluff and hash rate has been escalating very fast since then. Uh, it slowed a little bit recently. It's hard to tell whether that's due to the bear market or due to the merge actually like starting to look like it's going to uh, uh, become a reality. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, especially if you're deploying new gen hardware and and you know you're you're, you're uh, getting it at or near cost of production, either by being Bitmain, which you know they've had the E9 actually. For for prop purposes and or or, or, or or by being like a close partner where you're uh, uh, getting you know preferential a- access to this your break-even time is going to be is going to be pretty short, um so it, it 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 could potentially make sense you know th- there is a price where uh, a rational buyer would buy an E nine uh, even if it's going to get bricked soon enough.
0: Interesting. All right, a couple a couple random things to talk about. Uh, Tornado Cash, a I'm going to call it a privacy DAP on Ethereum. Um, essentially a mixer, smart contract, right? They have a DAO, um, and that DAO holds TORN, their token. Um, and I guess there's a proposal, a governance vote, to dump a bunch of the TORN um, for ETH, right? To buy ETH with that TORN. Um, I suppose this could be considered a treasury management, uh, you know, asset management function. Um, but it's failed. Uh, two-thirds of the voting power voted against it. Um, it does seem in general, if I'm a company, we consider a DAP in this analogy, a company that I probably should hold things other than my own stock, right? Just in general, you should be diversified, uh, to some extent. I don't know. So like, what is a Dow? I mean, is it just a treasury today? I mean, it feels like that's what (laughs) DOWs really are for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
4: there's debate on what they will become, but yeah, to your point, They're basically treasuries that can be controlled with smart contracts. Ideally have some sort of democratic or some structured governance approach.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, um, anyway, I guess this is like another tale of the the bear market, right, is these DAOs. Uh, Christine, you talked about a few over the last few weeks that have been doing similar or trying to do similar.
2: Yeah. And this goes completely in the opposite direction of what some of these other treasuries have been doing. They've been trying to diversify their treasury holdings into less riskier assets by going to USDC um, and DAI. I think this vote of the tornado cash governance holders, like two thirds of them voting against this proposal to be like no 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 we're not gonna do ETH ETH won't help us um let's stick with Torn. I think is really like sticking to their guns and it's kind of like a big um it's kind of like an energy that I feel like with the Torn community that is similar to their perspective like they are a mixer that like tries to um, obfuscate transaction activity that happens on Ethereum and so I think by them like it just shows a vote of confidence in like the protocol that they're building and and the the app the service that they provide to the users of ethereum potentially becoming more valuable um even through this bear market so i i actually think it's quite it evokes like a very confident attitude i think of the of the tornado cash holders
0: i think maybe also the holders don't want the torn prices to you know go down a lot when this yeah. large pile of torn is dumped yeah you know they want the they want the doubt to hodl, I guess. Yeah. Well, the the proposal also
4: indicates that it's it'll be sold against wheat at a twenty percent discount. So maybe they just don't like the terms as well.
2: That's fair.
0: Uh, right. Oh, at a discount too. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um. All right. Hackers uh, apparently got uh did the Ronin Bridge theft, which is five hundred and forty million dollar theft of the bridge that's um supported the Axie Infinity game, um. Apparently, it's come out now that the way that that theft was affected by the hackers was through a social engineering attack on a, uh, attack on a senior dev um, at Axie uh, who was tricked into applying for a fake job and I, I assume then filled out a form and gave a bunch of information.
4: Yeah, I, I actually read a bit about this, too. It's like, yeah, they they targeted the senior dev. They offered this job. He accepted. And then they sent a PDF of the offer to his computer which is kind of weird that you would accept it on your work computer. But when he opened it, that injected some code that then compromised um, the validators on their network.
0: Lord. Okay. Don't apply for jobs <laughs> on your work computer. Okay. That's <laughs> apply the apply first job.
1: You should do be doing it anyways.
0: Yeah. Lord. It's like totally tracked. Like, I, I, I mean, that's,
4: it's,
0: a, it's I no, I know it's not the main takeaway. I mean, I, I agree. That's just an aside, but, um, man, like $540 million mistake, dude, that type of spear phishing and social engineering, extremely common. You have to get, get these folks on the phone. If you're applying for a job, I mean, yeah. there was an interview and, and you'd think you would be able to spot a fake job, but I mean, this is a sophisticated attack. Yeah, we all undergo, um, and I think now most employees of major corporations undergo pretty extensive cybersecurity training on this, um, not just on strong passwords and password managers and all of that stuff, which we also are taught, but also on phishing, spear phishing, um, social engineering. I mean, even phys- like in the physical world, right? Like, Someone waiting outside your apartment, someone you didn't expect, right? Like, uh, it's just, it's this scary stuff, though. This is the digital world, not just even a crypto story. This is a scary thing that people have to deal with that makes trust so much harder to establish, you yeah, know, people, you know, people. Is, can, can the devs do something about people? <laughs> <laughs> can the
4: devs do something about a drone with a wide-angle camera flying to your window and seeing your screen? I don't know. Oh,
0: Lord. It's like black mirror type stuff right there. Um, So (laughs) Lord. All right. A couple other here. Uh, Polygon, the Ethereum sort of focused. I don't even know what to call it. Scaling system. They got a side chain. They got, they got a bunch of roll ups. They got an enterprise role. They got a bunch of stuff. Um, They are, I guess, I assume this is in the works longer um, because it's a, an announcement that doesn't seem like you could whip it together in a week, but they're partnering with a phone, also a mobile phone, Yep. Um, to bring nfts to mobile devices and who knows what else but um <laughs> the, the phone is called the nothing phone I don't, yeah it, it's dude, like this well, is, who's uh, on first so
4: on the topic of terrible company names this is high up there it's the yeah. company is called nothing it took me like yeah. 10 minutes to find the website nothing no, no, but Tech. what's the name of the company though that that <laughs> is the name of the company the
0: what name of the company is nothing oh yeah oh, I, I don't understand <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, it's, it's so confusing. Um, Doing bits from like the 1920s here on Galaxy Brains.
4: <laughs> I actually, I, I kind of, I don't know if I agree. I think they did whip this up. They saw the hype with Solana's announcement. I think they did whip this up in a week. Oh, like, interesting. I would not be surprised. Because it doesn't seem like there. there's no actual details at all. It's just, they're just saying that it'll integrate with the phone, which has been being
0: worked on for like almost two years now. So they sign an agreement or something and, and, and make yeah. an announcement and more is more is yet to come. But mobile UX is a huge thing and problem in crypto. I mean, yes, I basically don't use my personal computers anymore. I mean, I have a couple, but I don't really use them. I mean, mm-hmm. to be honest, I'm on the work computer for work and then it's mostly mobile all the time. Most web traffic is mobile now. Um, the interesting thing
4: to focus on is the fact that this is all happening on Android, because Apple's just not open enough to allow devs to do this kind of stuff, this crypto stuff. So it, it's not going to impact the U.S. market very much, at least initially. This is going to because be that's mostly
0: because like, the U.S. is like heavily iPhone, right?
4: It's t- heavily iPhone. I think at least
0: two thirds, if not more,
4: and like wow. it's it's growing and like they're getting more share as time goes. Wow, on, not less. Um, so this will be like kind of an international play, like other countries where it's, Android's more popular, literally everywhere else besides the U.S. Um, <laughs> So it'll be interesting yeah. to watch that.
0: Yeah, I mean I think one of the takeaways you had said, Saul, um, when the Solana announcement about their phone uh, thing came out was, was this, that it that it hopefully for the broader mobile ecosystem, will start to place pressure on Apple. Even if Solana's phone isn't like a big deal ultimately, mm-hmm. hopefully it'll cause other phone manufacturers to get interested and in stuff. And that maybe that would place pressure on Apple to become more open and accepting of crypto related apps, right? I mean, you can't even, um, you know, I, I think Coinbase Wallet was a great example. Like there were issues there. Brian Armstrong had a big tweet about this, big tweet thread. Um, about how Apple wasn't allowing them to sell NFTs and stuff through the app because Apple wouldn't get its 30% cut
4: exactly that's like the only way around it you have to basically neuter your apps and open seas app is basically just browsing that's all you can do on it
0: yeah it's like when you buy um you go to amazon you want to buy a, a kindle like a yeah book. in in the amazon app i can buy physical goods but yes. the second i want to buy an electronic good like a book for my kindle it forces me to go into the into, into the browser <laughs> yeah so so
4: that's a great way to kind of like illustrate how important this issue is try to buy a book a kindle book on amazon see how hard it is that's crypto today that's the best case scenario for crypto on mobile today is that experience just terrible
2: we need more innovation on this front for sure
4: we need less oligopic control by (laughs) apple and these other companies
0: yeah um well uh, we're not there we're not there yet crypto is not there yet um
2: how long do you think it's gonna take solana to come out with their phone saw like their Web3 phone? Their phone?
4: Uh, I mean, the phone will be out. But in terms of like how long will this matter enough that Apple will react? Right. The entire market cap of crypto is less than the market cap of just Apple. So we're, we're <laughs> quite a ways away. They don't They don't care about crypto yet.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like um, Web3 is knocking on Web2's door just yet uh, in that, you know, death meme where he goes to the different doors. Um, <laughs> it's not close. Um, um, maybe it will be. Maybe, but... Um, you know, I guess time will tell. I think I do think if polygons and Solanas, and you know, I don't know, maybe we can get the CEO of Bitcoin on the line to get some Bitcoin integration. <laughs> um, oh wait, I, I can't seem to. I've been trying for a long time. Um, but if these, if these crypto projects can at least move the ball forward on mobile, I think this is the optimistic case: is that not only on crypto, but also hopefully on these walled gardens, we can make some some inroads that force through the competitive dynamics of the free market Apple to open up a bit. And, um, you know, they have a suit with Epic Games over the same issue. And there's a whole bunch of stuff on this. It is it is an important, important thing that needs to happen, I think, ultimately for innovation to really flourish on mobile devices that hasn't happened. Um, but it's a huge portion of Apple's revenue. So. Um, you know, understandable. <laughs> the only other point I'd add is it's basically a race
4: for mobile, at least. Will they adapt or will the next evolution of mobile, which might be quote unquote metaverse stuff, whether it's wearables, headsets, will that just be open by nature and we'll just leapfrog this entire smartphone thing and just go right into natively, uh, crypto enabled hardware devices that support that use case. That's what I'm interested in, in studying and learning more about.
0: All right. Well, we're going to do it. Uh, you, you just signed up for the a new report. Saul. So <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to expect we're... it. I need it two weeks from today. There um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yo, Finn, let's cue the, uh, let's cue the outro music, by the way, the good outro music. Um, I'm not sure where we got it, but, um, if you folks are enjoying that music, uh, it makes me very happy. Um, And thanks, you know, we'll keep we'll keep covering some of the wacky stuff that's been happening in the in the bear market here. But thanks to Christine Kim, Saul Kadir, Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Digital and our friend Kareem Helmy uh, for joining um, and giving us those awesome insights uh, on the Bitcoin mining industry. Um, That's all we've got this week. Tune in next week. Uh, We'll be here. Galaxy Brains podcast. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, a weekly podcast from Galaxy Digital Research. If you enjoyed this show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about Galaxy Digital Research and what we work on, check us out on Twitter at research and read our reports at galaxydigital.io slash research. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you next time.